0: graphic novelist chris schweitzer known for great books like the krogan adventures the creeps and disney's pirates of the caribbean recently dropped by the library to lead a workshop for aspiring authors he spoke about his creative process and offered advice to those wishing to hone theirs he was kind enough to hang out afterwards and do a few sketches for those who attended which was incredibly cool for those unable to attend the event or those who did and would like to revisit it we offer this podcast enjoy and please if you like what we do Subscribe to our feed on iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks. Hello, everybody. Thank you, everybody, for coming out today. So um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, what I do, which is making comics, and how uh, you all can... Hopefully, learn from some of my uh, mistakes uh, in in doing so. Uh, comics are uh, what I call one of the narrative arts, um, and there's quite a few of these. There, you know, there's uh, dramatic uh, writing in theater. There's animation. There's film. Uh, there are novels, um, television. Basically, anything where your job is to tell a story. Um, and each of these different fields have uh, their different uh, grammars. their different. Uh, mechanisms. Uh, for me, I, I really like comics. So um, I uh, grew up a little bit in Florida and then mostly in Louisiana and then in Western Kentucky. I, I was in Hopkinsville from the time I was 11. And I always had a propensity to do different, uh, what you would call creative things. I liked drawing, I liked writing, I liked being in plays, I liked making movies with my friends, I liked playing music, I liked reading, I liked doing all these different things. Um, And when I was in college, it became kind of tricky figuring out how to narrow that down and figuring out which avenue to pursue. Um, And it was tricky because there were a lot of different things that I wanted to do, and I didn't really want to give up any one of them in order to uh, focus my attention on the others. And I was really lucky to discover comics. Uh, I mean, I'd I'd grown up reading comics, but it, it hadn't really occurred to me that that could be something that I would do Uh, as a career. And what I love about comics is that it takes all of these different disciplines uh, and it allows you to focus on all of them, uh, which to me is really uh, exciting because, uh, like I said, it's tough for me to, to, to narrow down my interests. So I get to write stories and craft them and come up with the dialogue. I get to act through the characters by making them emote, by changing their facial expression, their body language, uh, the way that I deliver the dialogue through word balloons. Um, I get to direct. I, you know, I frame the shot according to composition. I get to control the pacing. I get to draw. I get to do research. I get to do all these different things that I really enjoy doing um, and get to put them all into one umbrella, which uh, for me is comic. So I'm going to run through... Um, a couple of the, the things that I've done uh, really quick just to, to give you an idea of things. So, um, the, uh, the Creeps is uh, one of my more recent books. The third of these came out last month. Um, and uh, this is a kids horror mystery series uh, in which four unpopular middle schoolers uh, save their town from monsters. Uh, it's... A departure from some of the stuff that I, I used to do I get to draw a little more loosely um, And I also get to tackle modern things Which I'm, I'm not as practiced at as I am with other things You know, I, I generally draw historical subjects And this forces me to do things like uh, Modern buildings and phones and uh, cars and trucks And if any of you are artists You probably know that cars and trucks are not easy to draw They're up there with horses uh, as some of the the trickiest things, because although uh, they a lot of things you know if you draw a chair wrong, nobody really notices because there are a ton of different types of chairs, but cars and horses especially operate according to certain mechanics of their their being and when they're wrong you can look at them and tell um and so that can be uh really difficult to to try and get those so so i purposefully in this more recent book uh, made the last fourth uh a truck chase so that it would force me to to get down and and really have to learn to get better at drawing that that's something that i like to do is is if there's something that I know I have a deficiency in, I try to craft a project where I'm forced to confront that head on um, so that I can get better and then it's no longer a deficiency. Um, sometimes they wear fake mustaches. There's all sorts of stuff in that book. Um, I also do the, uh, the Krogan Adventures, which is a historical adventure series. Uh, they're fictional characters uh, rooted in real events. Um, so this story is uh, 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 one that takes place during the American Revolution. Um, and, uh, this one is one that I'm currently working on, which takes place in China in the 1920s. It's taken a really long time because I am putting about 50 people in every panel. Uh, and it takes a really long time to draw that many people. It takes more time to draw 50 people than it does one. So, uh, uh sadly, I, I haven't learned my lesson there and I keep writing stories that need a lot of people in every panel. Um, uh, I also occasionally do, for hire work, um, uh, working on uh, comics especially that... Tie into franchises that I like, so this is a, a cartoon series that uh, my daughter and I watched together. It was a mini series um, and uh, I really like it and so I reached out to uh, one of the editors of that company asked if I could do a cover and so these were some of the the thumbnails that I sent in and they, they opted for the the last one um, but most of the time I'm doing books that are uh, specific to Uh, my interest, like I'm coming up with them um, from, from the onset. Um, I also still do art as a hobby, um, which, you know, you you try to finish your, your day of drawing so that you can, you know, take a break and draw. Um, But one of the things that I like to do is make uh, paper figures and dioramas and things along those lines. So this is a nativity set from, from last year. Um, This is from this year. It's a, a black hat jug band for fall, um, and I, a lot of times I'll make these available to people who, who want them, but you know, mostly I do them just because it's, it's fun for me to do. Um, currently, uh, so, some other projects that are in that same vein is a, a gaming set that has about 300 uh, figures from uh, mid-19th century New York, um, which is a really crazy period in history. Um, and so that's been a lot of fun. And doing those made me want to do a comic set in it. So the uh, comic that I'm currently working on uh, is about a historic uh, gang of kids that would still do all the things that gangs would do. You know, they'd rob people and fleece people and things along those lines, but they would do so in order to amass capital so that they could put on plays in the basement of this abandoned tavern. Um, and it, uh, it seemed like a really fun uh, type of story to tell. So um, so that's one of the ones that I'm currently uh, currently working on. Um also because I had so much fun learning how to draw trucks, I, I kind of want to tackle a, uh, some kind of car-based story. So I have a thing where there, there are these car-riding cowboys that have to uh, herd these irradiated giant steers whose milk produce uh, the crude that can be made into gasoline so they can keep running across the plains. And so um, it's fun trying to come up with different cars and how the engines would look and things along those lines. Um, so that's, that's some of the stuff that I do to give you guys a little bit of background. And uh, what I wanted to talk about uh, today is approaching storytelling as a career and how to uh, look at specifically comics, but this can translate to, to prose or whatever you might be, be looking at. Um, and the, the first thing to keep in mind when you're, when you're looking at, at doing storytelling uh, over the course of your life is that it is important to think about the, the financial aspect of it. Um, if you're independently wealthy, this isn't as much of a concern, but um, it takes a really long time to make a movie or to, to make a comic or to do whatever. And... If you have a day job, that cuts the amount of time that you have to put towards that you know, by at least in half. Um, and so if you're able to find a way to make what it is that you do pay, then you can produce the volume of work that you want to be producing, um, which is uh, for me very important because I, I have a lot of stories that I want to tell, and this gives me uh, finding a way to, to do it and make a living at it gives me the means to, to do those stories. Um, so, so one thing that's important to keep in mind is uh, is the market for those stories, and there's a couple of different ways to look at this. And one of the things that, when people are first starting out, um, it's very, very easy to look at things in the in the short term. And when I talk about the short term uh, regarding the market, and by market I mean people who will pay you to make stories. Um, it's usually trying to find a way to capitalize on something that is popular. So, uh, you know, within the last five years, uh, before that, about five years ago, zombies became really, really popular. And so you saw a lot of uh, stuff sort of flooding the market trying to capitalize on this uh, on this zombie wave. And uh, there's not necessarily anything bad with that. If you're a zombie enthusiast and want those stories, it's great that those are out there. You know, every time pirates get... Get popular. I get a whole bunch of new pirate books out on the shelves that I get to read, which I love. Um, but the downside with this is that usually these things are popular because of some specific uh, thing that's already there. In the case of zombies, it's The Walking Dead. And so uh, the problem with entering into to that zeitgeist is that you are competing for attention against not only a lot of other things but also against one big thing that already probably dominates the market and is unlikely to be uh, usurped by you. Um, and the, the reason I say that's a short-term uh, solution but a, but a long-term problem is that uh, comics and... Uh, when I say comics, no, this, uh, again, applies to, to pretty much everything else. They're a very long game. You are uh, making things and you're putting them out there but one of the things that you're trying to do is cultivate a relationship with your readers, a relationship with uh, uh, your peers, uh, people who also uh, are doing the same thing that you're doing, uh, relationships with publishers, with art directors, with producers, with whoever might be in the position to give you money to do these these jobs. And, one thing that sometimes people find themselves in the trap of is doing something and then basically being confined to doing that for the rest of their life. Um, which if you love what you're doing from the onset, that's great, but if you get pigeonholed into a, a type of story that people know you're good at telling, uh, because you, you jumped into that and did that at the onset, that can be really frustrating. Uh, later on in your career, um, there's a, a comic artist that I really like named Guy Davis, and one of his uh, first big uh, projects was a period piece set in the 1940s. And so, for years of his life, the only jobs that he was offered were trench coat and fedora jobs, um, things that that had that aesthetic and were set during that period, even though he really wanted to do uh, monster stories. And so, finally, he he you know dropped uh, traditional paying work and was able to. To do some monster stories on his own, and then everybody saw, oh, he draws monsters really well, and uh, was able to sort of veer his his career in that direction. Um, uh, but it's it's something that that took a while and is frustrating if you have something specific that you want to be doing. Um, so the the best long term um, solution to this that that I can think of is to come out of the gate doing the types of stories that you want to be doing. If you know what those are. If you don't, that's okay. You know, our, our interests and our likes and our dislikes change over time. Um, but generally speaking, we all have a leaning towards certain genres, towards certain types of stories. Um, and it's important to embrace those leanings because comics are a really really, really, really difficult field so far as the amount of time and energy that you have to put into it and how uh, those are rarely commensurate to the financial returns at the onset. And so when you are tackling a project that's taking 10 times longer than you thought it was going to take, it's important that it be a project that you really, really want to get done and that you really, really want to do and that, that fills you with passion and enthusiasm for that project because otherwise, it can be really difficult to get past those logistical hurdles that are likely to pop up. Um, so, and in doing this, you're creating stories for yourself and the thing is, all of us, whatever type of story that we wish were out on that shelf, uh, whatever type of book we wish we could go there and exist, Other people wish that book existed too. So if you make the book that you wish was there, you will find an audience for it because you are not the only person who wants that book. Um, And as that audience tells their friends and other people who have similar tastes, eventually your readership starts to grow. And with each successive project that you undertake, you're going to find more and more readers that are building off that initial snowball because you're doing projects that uh, fulfill you, um, which is important. Um, and the other thing with that is that, and, and so although you're not filling a market niche, you're creating a market niche. You're, you're making things that people didn't necessarily realize that they needed or wanted until they see it. And then it becomes the thing that they wanted all along. Um, and granted, that's going to be a relatively small Uh, Audience at the onset, but you never know to what degree that's going to grow and to what degree that audience is bigger than you think. Um, There are a lot of people who do what, in theory, should be very fringe-specific comics. Um, There's a a cartoonist named Kate Beaton um, who does these very esoteric uh, you-have-to-know-a-lot-about-history-to-get-the-jokes comics um, that are very funny but are tremendously successful and incredibly well, uh, widely read, um, despite seeming to, to cater to only a specific audience. And that's because they're done well. And when something is done well, usually it'll reach beyond whatever uh, niche audience you, you think there might be at the onset. Um, so, so one thing uh, that a lot of people, when they're first starting out, they have in their mind that they have this one really great story idea, this, this story that'll make A great novel, or series of novels, or comic, or series of comics, um, and they want to guard that story really tightly. You know, you you I I a lot of times get questions from people about how how do you protect an idea? Like, can you send it off to copyright or something along those lines? And and first off, you can't. You can't copyright an idea. You can only copyright the execution of that idea. But the but. That sort of misses the point entirely, which is that your your big story idea doesn't matter um, in regards to your career as a storyteller. Um, and there's a few reasons for this. One, the the more new to storytelling that we are, um, the less likely the idea is to be as original as we think it's going to be. Um, and that doesn't mean that the idea is ripping off somebody else's idea. What it means is that it's an idea that is quite possibly going to be come up with by numerous other people. Um, and that can be really trying. It can uh, it can really derail you if you spend all your time thinking about this being your one shot, um, and then seeing something strikingly similar pop up on shelves. Um, it can also lead to resentment uh, for that project. It can lead to, uh, uh, being being concerned about talking about it with your peers and uh, finding a group of uh, other people doing the same thing you do, whether that's in person or online or through correspondence. That's really important because it, 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 making making these things can be uh, a very isolated experience. Being able to share in the difficulties can be really helpful. Um, and so you want to be in a position where you can do that. Um but the other the, the, the main reason for this is that if if you're a storyteller, if you're a cartoonist or a novelist or whatever it might be, your job isn't to to bring one story to life. Your job is to come up with a thousand story ideas and call them for the best possible uh, stories. Um, you, you You need to be able to come up with a new story for every project because and and multiple new stories because most of them won't ever see the light of day, either because they're not necessarily good enough, or because there's not a market for them, or because they end up being too similar to something else that already exists. Um, but the thing is, uh, the, the thing that's important to keep in mind is that ideas um, don't matter. Uh, oh, first, sorry, about this. So, so most story ideas stem from from two... Uh, from two different questions, um, and I forget where I first heard this. I've tried to look it up, and uh, they're they're simple enough phrases that it's been impossible to to track down their authorship. Um, but most stories stem from two different questions. One is "what if," um, and all of these questions require us to consume information in order to uh, to to make these stories. So the "what if." Uh, question arises from learning something and then thinking, what if, you know, you're reading a book, uh, you read the teen zone rules, you know, no loud talking or yelling. Um, number three, what if someone broke that rule? That's a story. Um, uh, you, you, you take in information and then you, you start to, to process uh, what would happen or what might happen, or what if this person did this, or what if this person did that. Uh, I'll I'll read, when I, I want to do a project, I'll, I'll know what period I want to do uh, historically, but I'm not necessarily sure what the project plot is going to be. And I will read book after book after book, waiting for the right what if to jump out at me. And usually it does, and sometimes it's early on in the process. Sometimes I have to read you know, 15, 16 books before... Uh, a paragraph hits me and I'll realize that that's where the nugget of the story is. Um, but that's that's one means of, of finding a story. Um, the other is then what? Um, there's a, a, an author, Michael Chabon, um, who has a quote uh, which says, all novels are sequels. Um, and what he means by that is that basically every story that we want to tell is built on something that we love. They're, we're influenced by something and we, we want to, to showcase that influence in some way. Um, so then what is, you know, what happens? Sometimes it's the, the, sometimes it's really specific. You know, maybe a public domain character. Dorothy, what happens uh, if Dorothy gets home and nobody believes her? Does she get shipped off to a uh, to, uh, uh, mental hospital? Does she uh, start writing the Oz books herself, etc.? You know, there, there are a lot of types of stories like that. But then there's also things that, you know, might might arise from uh, different historical figures or different novel things, and then they, they change, and they don't necessarily stay about a particular character. Um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo... Uh, I think uh, the the author mentioned that he basically wrote the the lead character as "What if Pippi grew up and became a punk?" Um, uh, Pippi Longstockings, and so there's a lot of these types of stories that even though they might bear no resemblance to the their inspiration, are still born of inspiration. Um, so so th- th- those are two different ways of of approaching ideas. Um, but the thing is, ideas matter less than execution. And when I say execution, I mean how those ideas are presented in a story. Um, you can, uh, to, 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 to delve into that more specifically, uh, you could have the same story idea, the exact same story idea, and every different person will tell that story differently um, from its idea. If you use directors as an example, if you had... You know, uh, Walt Disney and Wes Anderson and Quentin Tarantino, and they all were given the exact same idea for a movie, uh, they might not deviate from that idea at all. And they're still going to come up with strikingly different movies because each recognizes their craft, knows the type of story that they want to tell, and are able to tell that story in a certain way. And that's where um, knowing your craft uh, becomes an important. So how do you get good at that execution? How do you get to where that becomes uh, your skill set? Um, the the first and most important way is to know your medium. Um, and when I say medium, I mean the, the, the medium by which you're telling stories, whether that be uh, theater, whether it be animation, whether it be comics, whether it be a novel, whether it be short stories, et cetera. Um, each of these mediums has its own uh, mechanics, has its own grammar, has a way that it works, and it's important that you understand those if you're going to be able to tell a story through that medium. Um, uh, the, the, so it's, it's very important to educate yourself uh, regarding the, the mechanics of that medium. Um, and there's uh, a few different ways to do this. The most important is to consume a lot of... That particular media. Um, so, if you are a filmmaker, you need to be watching a lot of movies. Um, uh, you need to be watching, uh, you know, main mainstream releases. You need to be watching short films. You need to be watching indie films, foreign films, whatever it might be, because you're going to learn a lot from each of these different uh, avenues. You know, if you are uh, wanting to make comics, you need to read comics, and you need to read all different types of comics, from from superheroes to Peanuts. To autobiographical stuff, to undergrounds from the 60s, to whatever you can get your hands on, because again, you're going to see how these mechanics work through universally through all these different mediums and where the different uh, where the changes are going to come in uh, as you move from one style to another. Um, and being able to find that universality uh, uh, of your media is important. Um, and so, consuming this is is instrumental to being able to do it um if you don't read you you're not going to be a good writer um if you don't uh go to plays you're not going to be a good playwright um these are these are important things uh to to keep in mind you need to to familiarize yourself as much as possible with what's out there and how it's done and um you need to be able to study that. So as as you're consuming, and once you've consumed, it's important to be able to analyze uh, what it is that you're looking at. So um, for comics, there are a number of, uh, for lack of a better word, textbooks, that are uh, about this, many of which are written in in comic form. Uh, most popular is is uh, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics and Making Comics. Um, Will Eisner's a, a, a famous cartoonist who wrote a number of books on it, um, uh, and there are a lot over recent years that have been that have been put out as well. Um, In addition to these, there are tons of interviews with uh, comics creators and cartoonists. There are tons of tutorials online, uh, process blogs, uh, things along those lines that showcase how different people uh, arrive at their their final product and and the decision-making that they do in getting there. Um, And so once you start to read that, you start to to notice these things and recognize these things in the stuff that you're reading. Um, And that can be really important because it helps you to... Analyze what it is that you're looking at. Um, one of the things that I, I so I, I taught at uh, SCAD um, for five years, and one of the things that that was sometimes a complaint of, of different students was that I ruined movies for them um, because they would they would we'd talk about things in class, and then they'd start to notice uh, narrative deficiencies in this movie or that movie, and it would be really hard for them to enjoy them. Um, and That is something that, as you become better at uh, understanding how narrative works, uh, is a, I I don't necessarily want to say a problem, but it is a reality. But the thing is, it's also entirely fine to enjoy things that you recognize have faults. Um, Some of my very favorite movies are, I would not put them in the top thousand movies ever made um but they are my favorites they speak to me personally and they're things that I really love despite uh having flaws and flaws that I recognize um but it's important to be able to recognize flaws and to be able to recognize successes um when you're when you're looking at narrative because you want to be able to make conscious decisions to make good things or if you're making something that's not good that you understand why it's not good and you're you're weighing uh well, you never want to make something that's not good. Um, you always want to make something that's good. Um, and so, but but finding what it is about the things that you love and recognizing where its strengths are, you can mirror those strengths in your own uh, in your own output, which is important. Um, uh, you can also and so so on the analyzation aspect and with study, it's also important to read criticism and to give. Uh, credence to criticism. Um, that doesn't mean that critics are always right, um, and uh, quite often they can miss the the author's intent entirely. But uh, Critics, uh, the the way that I look at them is the same way that I look at editorial notes. If I get back notes from an editor, it's entirely possible that the editor might have missed the point of what I was doing or misinterpreted something, and it's not really the problem that he or she thinks it is um, uh, in a book that I have. But I always look at editorial notes the same way that I always look at criticism as – this is something that pulled the reader out of the narrative that kept them from being immersed or kept them from enjoying it or kept them from, uh, being able to be enthusiastic about it. And whether that person is right or not, there was a moment here that was jarring and that moment needs to be addressed. It needs to be looked at and you need to determine was that, is that jarring a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it something that, that needs to be looked at? Um, and so reading criticism, uh, and also taking in things that are both good and bad and and looking at them from that perspective is important to your own development and helping you uh, figure out where your strengths and weaknesses lie um, so 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 that's the first part is is consuming uh the the media that that you're interested in doing um, The next thing is training yourself to be good at your craft um and that is a very important thing, and there, there's there's two different aspects to this. One is school, and by school, I don't necessarily mean a formal education. Um, there are benefits to a formal education. Uh the uh the biggest benefit being that uh, you don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel every time you encounter a problem. Uh, if you are struggling with something having someone there who has already struggled with that and being able to uh, help you overcome it without a long and cumbersome way or teaching you a faster way of doing something or a more efficient way of doing something that can be an invaluable resource uh, for a medium in which time is is uh, such an important factor um, We you know one of the things that that We uh, comics folk talk about amongst each other a lot are time-saving techniques. We want to uh, shave off as much time from any given process without losing quality as possible. Same as just about any industry. Um, And so if we figure out a way of scanning that cuts off 40 seconds on a page that takes... 16 hours that 40 seconds is a huge deal to us because eventually when you do a thousand pages that 40 seconds compiles Um, and so uh, school can be really helpful towards helping you with that it can put you uh, in a group of like-minded people who have the same goals as you which can be really important to helping to propel each other forward uh, especially if you get discouraged Um, it can be great for uh, making uh, contacts, it can be great for a lot of reasons. There are also uh, downsides to to going to school, especially uh, to art school. Art school specifically can be very myopic. Um, you can be uh, focusing, ex- by focusing exclusively on one thing, that can be really beneficial to that one thing, but at the exclusion of being a more well-rounded person, which is important to storytelling. And it's also important, uh, to your interpersonal skills, to your your having a, a wider knowledge base. Uh, anytime you're working with an editor or an art director, everybody assumes that you're a genius and that you know as much as or more than them because that's why they hire you. Um, and so it's important that you do know as much as you can um, because an editor will throw a reference uh, to you that you may have no familiarity with. Um, and so... The, the 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 broader you you focus your studies the 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 better off you'll be also for the sake of storytelling if you only do comics then the chances increase exponentially that you're going to do a story about somebody making comics and you don't want to do that it's like you know how many how many novels have you read where the main character is a writer it's it's a lot uh, it's uh, because we we do become myopic so the 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 the, the that, that's one of the, the problems. The other is the, the, the staggering cost of tuition uh, for art schools that, that keeps uh, raising. Um, but, but from a, a college standpoint, there, there's plenty of debate over how to do different colleges, and that's not what this is about. Um, but, but when I say school, I mean putting yourself in a regimented course of study, um, and that can certainly be self-regimented, but that is uh, the act of, of consuming, the act of studying, um, and it also has to do with the, the other portion of this, um, and the, uh, which is uh, just as important. There's not, a, there's not a degree of importance for either one, but one you have to put in a lot more time, and that is experience. Um, experience is the foremost uh, concern when it comes to getting better at your craft. Um, uh, I, I, again, forget who initially uh, talked about this. Uh, uh, Malcolm Gladwell popular, popularized it in uh, one of his books, um, and that's the uh, the 10,000-hour the rule. Um, if you all don't know the 10,000-hour rule, basically what it states is that... It, to become an expert in something, you have to have put in 10,000 hours doing it, um, which is a really long time, but it takes a really long time to become an expert in anything. Um, And uh, that doesn't mean that you can't necessarily do things before you reach this 10,000-hour point um, or even become a professional before you reach this, but it really is a, a... Pretty easy benchmark to notice where there's a, a discernible difference um, between folks who have done this and folks who who haven't. Um, and so when you are when you are looking at this, um, at say doing comics or prose writing or whatever it might be, the amount of time that you put into it uh, at the onset has a a drastic effect on how long it takes you to be able to get to the point where you're working professionally. Um, One thing with, with comics sort of the the rule of thumb is that uh, it takes about five years between when you start working professionally and when you start being able to make a living at it. Um, And there's a lot of different reasons for that. But the, the biggest one is that your skill set is not necessarily there. uh, And at a point where you can, uh, find people who, who give you the amount of money necessary to live entirely off of comics. Um, and so it takes a while to, to get there. Um, so if you are giving yourself 20 hours a week uh, to focus exclusively on your craft, um, that takes you 10 years to get to that point, um, uh, to, to get to that 10,000-hour benchmark, um, uh, which is a really long time. Um, if you are giving yourself 40 hours a week it takes five years, um, and if you're giving yourself 80 hours a week, then it takes two and a half years, and that's one of the reasons why that five years thing tends to be the standard, because most people have um, a day job, or family, or something that's occupying the majority of their time, and so they might be working what the equivalent of full-time hours on something that that they want to see happening, but it takes a really long time to, to get to that point. Um, and that is one of the things that, that art school does have a benefit with, is that it sort of forces you into this cauldron where you have to devote an inordinate amount of time in a relatively short amount of space. Um, but that practice is really, really important um, because it, it does help you to overcome uh, your limitations. Um, there's a, a radio uh, storyteller, if you've ever heard This American Life, the guy who runs the Ira Glass, um, Uh, not too long ago, talked about what he called the gap, Um, which is nobody tells this to people who are beginners. I wish someone had told me. All of us who do creative work, we get into it because we have good taste. But there's this gap. For the first couple of years, you make stuff. It's just not that good. It's trying to be good. It has potential, but it's not. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, is still killer. And your taste is why your work disappoints you. A lot of people never get past this phase. They quit. Most people I know who do interesting creative work went through years of this. We know our work doesn't have the special thing that we want it to have. We all go through this. And if you're just starting out and you're still in this phase, you gotta know it's normal and the most important thing you can do is a lot of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week you will finish one story. It is only by going through a volume of work that you will close that gap and your work will be as good as your ambitions. And I took longer to figure out how to do this than anyone I've ever met. It's gonna take a while. It's normal to take a while. You just gotta fight your way through. And that's very true, and that's where that 10,000 hours thing uh, culminates, is that it, it helps you to, to slowly bridge that gap. And it does take a while. You know, I've been, I'm now 10 years into uh, to, to doing this, and I still am very deficient in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of places where I, I recognize where those deficiencies are. And I, you know, address them one at a time and try and get better but it's i can only get better through practice um and it's you know it's 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 still tricky um but just know that if you are in that stage where where it's uh feels very oppressive uh it's not going to stay that way forever Um, So one of the things that's important when you're doing this is that it's important to have a place to make mistakes. Um, Whether you're writing, whether you're drawing, whatever it might be, not all of it needs to be for public consumption. Um, You can approach it from that standpoint, but know that figuring stuff out is a big part of learning. You know, whether that is writing a story, whether it's drawing, whether it's doing comics, whatever it might be, you are, tinkering, you're engineering. Um, and so, uh, having a sketchbook, having a diary, having whatever it might be where you can just work out these problems, um, absent the, the, the worry that it's going to affect your final work, um, is really helpful and important. Uh, one of the things that was really hard for me when I was a kid was that, uh, because I drew a lot, people would give me sketchbooks and I thought these sketchbooks, because sometimes they would be really nice. Um, I'd have to be really careful in them and make sure that every picture that went in them was really, really good. And if I messed up, a lot of times I would just abandon that sketchbook. Um, and now what I do is I keep my grocery lists in my sketchbook, I write people's phone numbers in my sketchbook, uh, you know, I'll do purposefully bad drawings every few pages so that I don't uh, ever get too precious about it. Um, because it's important that you, you use your sketchbook to figure things out. Um, and that doesn't mean that you can't share the good work that's in there. You know, I mean, there, and there are plenty of means by which to do this. You can always snap a picture and put it on Instagram. That's what a lot of people do. Um, you can scan it. You can, you know, pull, tear it out of the sketchbook and give it to somebody. Um, but it's important to have a a way to uh, work out work out problems and to make mistakes. Um, the most important thing when you're starting out is to not tackle a ridiculously long project. A lot of people, when they, they first conceive a project that they want to do, they think of something grand and epic. Um, you know, uh, a multi-season TV show or uh, a 3,000-page comic thing or, a you know, a 500-page novel. Um, and all of these are really problematic for a variety of reasons, but the biggest one is that 10,000-hours one. Your craft is going to steadily improve the more that you work. And your first page that you draw, um, if you're relatively early in your career, is going to be vastly different uh, in terms of quality from the 100th page that you draw. And so, uh, so much so that by the time you get to that 100th page, you'll look back at that first page and cringe and want to redo it and start this terrible cycle that never ends. What's really helpful, and there, there's a lot of uh, precedent with this in any media that you go to. Um, if you are looking at playwrights or theater directors, they start with one acts. Uh, directors start with short films. Um, uh, writers start with short stories, rather than jumping right into novels. You know, uh, and it's the same for for comics people. You know, instead of trying to do a graphic novel right off the bat, see if you can figure out a story that can be told in less than 10 pages. Ideally, a story that can be told in less than five pages. Because, and that that's really beneficial to you for a few reasons. Um, one, there's not going to be this big gap of quality between the beginning and the end. Um, two, you're actually able to finish this. If you have a story that takes five pages, that is a, an accomplishable goal. Um, if you haven't ever done a five page story before, Five pages is huge, but it's not nearly as huge as 100 pages. If you haven't done five pages, doing 100 pages is next to impossible. But doing five pages, that's doable. Um, and so once you, once you finish that, you get this real sense of accomplishment uh, for having finished something. And also you get something that you can share with other people. And that's really huge to establishing an identity as somebody doing this thing. Um, If you finish a comic, it's five pages, you can print it up, you can fold it and staple it yourself and give it out to friends, you're a cartoonist. You've made a comic that you can share with people. And that helps to, not only in your mind, give you the sense that, hey, I'm a real cartoonist, it helps in other people's minds as well. And the more that you believe that, the better you'll be at working through the grind that sometimes arises. it's also really helpful because it teaches you to pare down, which is really important when you are working on these longer stories. If you do a six-page story, anything that doesn't belong in that story is going to stand out like a sore thumb. Um, everything has to be part of that story and has to to all lead to one thing. Um, and... So once you start to figure out how to do that and how to pair out the non-essential, it becomes much easier to do that when you're tackling longer projects. So once you do start to tackle a novel or a graphic novel or something, you're only going to put in the narratively essential stuff, which is going to lead to a much better story. Um, And so that can be really, really helpful. Uh, from that end too but you know once you do a five page story it becomes a lot easier to do a ten page story and then a twenty page story and then a hundred page story and once you've done a hundred page story a three hundred page story is not that big a deal but going from zero to three hundred is, is really really difficult so so giving yourself those incremental stages can be really really helpful to helping you figure out your craft um, once you figure out your craft. And once you have uh, done all of this grunt work and done all of this, this hard labor of getting better and better, and it's just like anything else, even if you have a propensity for drawing, it still requires a lot of practice. It's just like basketball. You might be good at basketball, but you're not pro good at basketball unless you practice all the time. And then once you get there, then hey, you're there and it's great. Um, so once you practice and once you do all of this stuff, you have shed your limitations. So often our style, uh, our type of stories that we're telling, things like this, when we're early on, they're dictated by our limitations. Um, We can't draw cars, so we only write historical fiction. Um, You know, things like that. Uh, we, We are bad at drawing hands, so we start to do like funny blobby people. You know, we're bad at drawing facial expressions, so we do this. And so it's very easy to fall into the trap of having your work be defined by its limitations. Uh, I have a friend who said, style is what you do wrong. Um, and there's, there's definitely truth to that. Um, but the more that you do, the, the less those limitations start to define your work and the more decision-making starts to define your work. And once, so once you're good at your craft, um, uh, when you know what you're doing, everything becomes a decision. Um, and sometimes those are conscious, sometimes they're unconscious. But you know, if you're drawing a face, you know the way that you draw the nose. Even if you do it really quickly and instinctively, that instinct is born of knowledge and experience and practice. And so you're still making a decision with how you draw that nose. Um, it's, it's like if you're drive, driving a car, you're doing like 25 different things that after you've driven a car for a long time, you you sort of forget that you're checking the rear view and pressing the brake and you have your hands over here and you're looking in the, the side view mirror and you're watching the signs and you're also processing what's happening on the road and calculating the speed of that person turning and the person behind you. There's all these different things that the more you do it, the more intuitive it feels and you're not thinking about these things as different parts of the whole. Um, Storytelling is the same way. Like the more that you do it and the more practiced you get at it, the less conscious these decision makings have to be and the more you're just doing them because you know how to do them, which is great. Um, But uh, once everything becomes a decision, uh, then every decision has weight, and they have weight both inside and outside of the story. They 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 affect how the the audience responds to the story, but they also reflect on you as its author. They they they, they can be viewed contextually, um, whether we like it or not. Everything is going to be viewed contextually, um, and so thinking about the types of stories that you're making, you know, when you're making them is important. You know, who you are when you're making them is important. Um, and so, so, but once you know what you're doing then those, then people are better able to judge your storytelling ability, your motivations, things like that, based on the decisions that you chose to make. And you can stand by those decisions proudly, whether or not people agree with them or not, because you knew that they, you know that they were decisions and they weren't just the byproduct of your inability to do this or that. Um, so it's important to know your genre. Um, and so whatever field you might be getting into, if you are, uh, let's say that you like writing, uh, romance stories, or let's say you like writing mysteries, or let's say you like writing horror, or like writing, you know, whatever it might be, it's important that you know those genres, um, because, uh, you, your audience is going to have certain expectations of that genre, you know, if you pick up a Western, you want there to be a gunfight. Um, and if there's not a gunfight, you're going to be kind of ticked off if you're a Western enthusiast. So it has to be in there in some capacity. That doesn't mean that you can't, uh, come at it from a very different angle or present something, but there are certain things with each genre that your audience is expecting. It's also important to see how different people have done things different ways so that you don't inadvertently repeat something that's been done. Um, because it's very easy to do that. You know, most stories have been told and so if you are coming at something in a vacuum it's very easy to, to come up with something that would have already been done and possibly very widely known um i didn't realize that but the end of uh story that i wrote was basically the end of high noon um and i i uh i had to change it um i, I luckily rewatched high noon while i was working in the outline phase and i was like oh man i kind of forgot that that existed but that's really easy uh to do is to 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 Think of something that, that's been, and so the, the, the more familiar with your genre you are, the better it'll be. Also, if you have an enthusiasm for that genre, that's great for, for a few reasons. One, everything you do for that is tax deductible. Um, so if you like mysteries and you want to go to, you know, buy a bunch of mystery books or go to a mystery movie or, you know, host a mystery dinner, you know, whatever it might be, you get to write that all off, which is pretty great. Um, but it's also, you know, a lot of fun. It's the same way, you know, if you're a real sports enthusiast, you you know, you want to go to uh, to training camp or something like that. It's kind of the same thing, only for whatever specific thing you're wanting to do your story about. Um, an example of this is, uh, so I I do a lot of stories that take place on boats, um, and so I had an opportunity to crew uh, for for a few weeks on. Uh, the Lady Washington, which if you've ever seen Pirates of the Caribbean, it's the the boat that Jack Sparrow and Will steal at the beginning. Um, uh, they just painted it and called it the the Interceptor for that. And so, um, uh, so I got to to go through a few rivers and up and down the Pacific, um, and cross the 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 mouth of the Columbia, which is this. Um, was pretty exciting it's this uh, apparently I didn't realize until afterwards how how dangerous the stretch of river is because the the river and the ocean sort of slam into each other at such force that it's caused about 2,000 shipwrecks um in this spot so everybody was real white knuckling it and I was like this is great but that's because I didn't know it was uh dangerous um but but I was able to uh get a better sense as to how ships work you can only You can learn a lot from books, um, and you should learn a lot from books, but it can be... it can be kind of daunting when you, you encounter something and you don't know how to who to ask a question about it or something along those lines. Uh, this was a great experience because I was able to get to know the ship really well and how the mechanics of the ship works. There's about 160, 165 uh, different lines, all of which have names. Um, and you have to learn these because, you know, it, at a moment's notice somebody might say, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, you know, uh, brace the, the fortigallant and you have to run to the fortigallant brace. Um, uh, you know, and it's one line out of 160 and you have to know these. And so it's it's fun because then I, at first I was doing a lot of sketches like this and writing things down and after a while I didn't have to. And now I could just draw a ship out of my head, which is great and really helpful because the more that you can draw out of your head, the faster things go. And again, speed is a really nice asset uh, to have. Um, and so I started working on the the Pirates of the Caribbean comic with with my friend Joe. Um and uh he had never drawn ships before and and I uh, suggested him to the publisher and and I was like I'll I'll help you with the ships, which is really just a uh, excuse for me to get to draw ship thing. So I went through and oh this is um the the other fun thing is you get to to do stuff, you know, Seven Stories Up, which is scary at first but becomes uh Pretty fun, but again, research trip, tax deductible, which is great. Um, but uh, going through and uh, figuring out, like, drawing plans and explaining how different things work. Like, standing rigging is permanent; it's going to be black and covered in tar, and that helps to support different parts of the ship. Running rigging is uh, are are the ropes that do jobs um, uh, and move. And so, uh, you show like how how it would look under sail, will look under full sail, and then all these different things uh, that you know hopefully helped uh joe when he was uh starting to to draw the ships but it's it's really a chance for me to immerse myself in the genre that i'm working in um and and so i look at it kind of like method actors like to do that i'm a method cartoonist so if i get a chance to go to a a battlefield or dig around in a fort or go in a cave or whatever it might be um i'm going to jump on that chance because it it a lot of times will will not only be fun for me, but it also introduces things that I might not otherwise have thought to put into the stories if I only were reading books. Um, it, you know, if I slam my head every time I, I, you know, walk down a hatch, I might have a character who slams his head every time he walks down a hatch. It becomes helpful. Um, this is the the Pirates book. Um, that's Joe's art that's on there. Um, so it's important to know that there's no such thing as an overnight success. Um, people... Can go from obscurity to fame pretty quickly, but everybody has been working at it for a while before it comes out. Even the people who who you know seem to come out of the gate swinging, they've been practicing on their own for a long time. Um, I know uh, I would sometimes have students that would get so frustrated because you know they'd be looking online and they find an 18 or 19 year old that was just doing spectacular work. Um, and sometimes we get hired on by an animation studio. I was uh, doing some stuff for DreamWorks um, when they hired on uh, uh, Twin Sisters that I think, I forget if they were 18 or 19 at the time as full-time art directors um, because they were just spectacular. But if you looked at their sketchbooks, they had you know 60 sketchbooks full of stuff. They spent all of their time doing it and had for years. Um, it's just they happened to start out you know, full bore when they were 11, so it's, you know, I mean, they're, they're, it might seem like people are, are coming out of the gate, but they're not, like, everybody is putting in time before it, and so um, so it's important to know that if you're not, you know, winning an Oscar, you know, three days into your, your profession, um, that's okay. It's also important to kind of believe that you will. Um, you know, when you're starting out, uh, you know, everybody, it's good to have that belief that, you know, whatever your, your book is doing, you know, that it's going to win the Newbery or the Pulitzer or whatever it might be, whether there's any validity to that or not, because that can help you try and do your absolute best. Um, the, the important thing is to not get discouraged when it doesn't, I guess. Um, there's also no such thing as breaking in, uh, to an industry. There's not um, a lot of people seem to think that there's kind of like a magic way uh, to get things in. If you, if you write a script a certain way, or if you, you deliver a book a certain way, or if it hits these particular points or caveats, then it's kind of going to be a guarantee. Or if you know this editor, if you know this art director, if you know this producer, whoever it might be. And the thing is, none of that has anything to do with anything. Um, it's all just, producing good work and trying to get it out there. There are ways to sabotage yourself, but there's no real way to skip to the front of the line, um, aside from just producing really fantastic work. Um, there are uh, There's this, this sense for a lot of people that there are gatekeepers to the literary world, that there are gatekeepers to the comics industry, to the movie industry, to whatever it might be. Uh, be those agents, be the, the acquisitions editors, um And that's an easy feeling to have because um, there are certain people that your work has to get through before it gets to uh, where it can be published. Um, But that isn't because of prestige. It isn't because of elitism. It isn't because of anything like that. It is because of resources. Um, Editors get a gazillion submissions all the time, and they're already way over budgeted for their time when it comes to working on the books that they're supposed to be working on believe me um editors never have the amount of time to work on your book that they expect to or that you hope that they would Um, and that's just the books that they're working on that's not even counting the the submissions that they get and so these people that are there uh on the way are there in order to guard the, the resources of time. That's pretty much it. Time is, is our biggest, most important uh, factor when it comes to this. The time to read a book, the time to read a manuscript, the time to read a script. Um, it can be really tricky. And so the, the better your script is the better a chance that it'll be read, the better your book is the better chance that it'll be read, especially if it's really good at the beginning. Um, so don't be afraid to go back and redo the beginning of something when it's, when it's weak. Um, and don't be afraid again to, to outline and try and call out all of that unnecessary stuff so that the beginning, you know, is propulsive. Um, and there, there are plenty of books about this and also books about, uh, Uh, Dramatic writing, books about film writing, those apply to comics. Same way that books about comics apply to film. Um, uh, All of these disciplines have things that that can inform each other and it's important to to keep those in mind. Um, It's also important to keep in mind what kind of career that you want. This is going back to what I was talking about at the onset. Um, uh, Some people, for me, I very much want to treat my comics career as an author career. Um, I I want these to be stories that reflect on me. Um, if they're nonfiction, I want it to be nonfiction that reflects on me. It should reflect my voice and my sensibilities and the things that I believe and the things that I uh, feel passionate about. Um, and so I want I want my books to to be a reflection of that. Um, and so I'm very careful with which projects that I I choose to take on. Um, uh oftentimes that means lean months um sometimes it doesn't sometimes uh, it means you know fatty months where you know we're we're going to disney world um but it's uh but it it, it definitely shapes the decision making that i have when it comes to what Uh, What projects I undertake and the way that I undertake those projects. Um, For some people, they look at it as very much a craft, first and foremost. That they they enjoy the drawing of it, and it doesn't matter what they're drawing or it doesn't matter what they're writing. If they're getting paid for it, it's their job. um, And that's great. And there's nothing wrong with that approach, but the 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 difficulty with that approach is that it can put you in that earlier position that i said where you start to get pigeonholed for one thing um that you might not want to do but if you love drawing and you want to have a job drawing um that's a great uh means by which to pursue it i just I, i look at it the same way that i would look at at doing novels um and that doesn't mean that it's only going to be projects that i come up with you know every once in a while there's something that i really love and uh, if I like Pirates of the Caribbean, and if I get offered a chance to to write that, I will because it's a, a project for which I have enthusiasm um but it also is in keeping with the rest of my output um and it's not that far a skip to move from the Krogan books to the Pirates of the Caribbean or from the Creeps to the Pirates of the Caribbean um they've all kind of got a similar sensibility um, so but it's the same thing with with writing if you enjoy writing, you know there there are plenty of opportunities for uh, for ghost writers and for technical writers and things along those lines. Um, you know, you don't have to uh, treat it like capital A art the way that I like to look at it uh, in order to have a successful and fulfilling career. Um, but for me, art is is craft plus ethics. It's making, uh, it's it's knowing how to do something and making decisions as to why you're doing it and, and what it is. And I, I feel very happy with with uh, that output so what I'd like to do is is ask if any of you have any questions and I would be uh, happy to answer them yes sir you that that's exactly what it is like it's the it's the, the the reason that I have so many projects is so that I don't get flummoxed when i'm when i'm stuck on something um and a lot of times writer's block can be overcome simply by powering through but that requires a lot of fortitude and i'm sometimes really lazy and so it's much easier for me to turn my attention and say oh well i bu- I booked this cover a while back now would be a good time to do that and so um so a lot of times i do use it for that but really um I've gotten to where I can plan my, my writing stuff a little bit better uh, to where I don't have the block and that's that I, when I start out, I, I have my idea and I write out my idea and then I start to write an outline and then I get stumped about a third into it. Um, but I have that idea and then I leave it alone for about a week, maybe two weeks while I'm working on other stuff. So I try and make sure that I have projects lined up well in advance of when they're needed so that I can give myself this window. Um, So I'll give myself uh, usually about a week and then I'll go back and I'll try and rewrite the outline. And this time I'll write it all the way through, but it'll be terrible Um, and it'll have lots of problems and I'll know that it'll have lots of problems, but then I'll leave it for another week, sometimes as far as a month. And then when I go back to it, I've put all that information into my brain and whether I'm consciously thinking about it or not, it's always sort of running around in there. And so anything that I'm reading, anything that I'm looking at, anything that I'm working on is informing that decision making. And so the next time that I sit down and try and puzzle through it, it almost always just hits. And I just have to sit and give it – so it's sort of – it's kind of like entering in a bunch of data into a computer and then waiting for the thing to come out, which is a much poorer analogy than it used to be since everything's so fast now. Um, But, but yeah, most of the time what I'll do at at that point for that last one – is I'll know there are problems that I was having trouble solving, p- parts of this puzzle that aren't fitting together, and I'll either sit in the recliner and just not have anything going, just close my eyes and sit and be like, time to think, or I'll go to the shower or I'll take a walk or I'll take a long drive um, uh, on a like a dirt road where nobody's going to be. And in any of these instances, I just put my brain towards that and everything kind of clicks together. But it, but that That to me is the is the way that I overcome writer's block because I have to I have to give it time. Um, and And that was born of a lot of trial and error and and just realizing that that's the best way for me to do it. And again, now it's the fastest way for me to do it, because even though it takes a month and a half to get from point A to point B, I'm only spending a few hours on it instead of spending a week just hammering away trying to get it done. Any other questions? You said you do outlines. Kind of. I do. Yeah. I know tools <laughs> are personal, but um, what tools do you use uh, to write? Most of the so so I have a few uh, different ones. Sometimes I use the computer a lot, um, but also I'll, depending on the type of project, my my biggest. Thing that I started with and then I abandoned and now I'm back to is sticky notes. Um, so I will write all of the things that I want to be in a story on sticky notes. And then I will take a, a big piece of paper or poster board, and I will work at arranging them in a way that makes sense. Um, and so that becomes the plot which, is, uh, which isn't which is the structure of the story, it's just the things that happen in the story and if I can create a logical sequence then I'm in good shape but then what I'll do is I'll go in and I'll try and break it up narratively to where well when this happens it's it's the end of the first act, it becomes important this this needs to happen structurally this needs to happen here, this needs to happen here and I'll start to structure around that plot um, but uh uh, the more that I write, the less formal I get with it. When I was first starting out, I was very uh, formal in my approach and saying, "Well, this section, you know, is is my, you know, all the the Aristotelian like story triangle. The, you know, here's my 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 opener. Here's my my rising action. You know, here's." Here's uh, like a reversal of fortune. Here's my client. You know, I, kind of treating it like a recipe. And I, I deviate from that here and there, but but it was still really helpful. Now I don't do that as much because I feel like the, uh, again, it's kind of like driving. Like I've ingested enough of that that, that I can sort of hopefully do it uh, as needed. Um, when I was working on the the Creeps books, um, I had a very loose story outline for the second one in particular. Um and I didn't even almost have an outline. I just had sort of a, a two-paragraph synopsis of what happened in the book, and it had to be 120 pages, and I just started drawing it, and luckily I ended on 120 pages because after a while you start to internalize how long this part's going to be, how long that part's going to be, and you can sort of uh, make it work without necessarily outlining, but it, it it took me a while to get to that stage. But, it's in, but But it's important to outline, especially at the onset with comics, because... Every panel in a comic uh, affects the panels around it. So comics are very difficult to edit. It's not like film where you can cut out a shot or uh, cut out a bit of dialogue in a play or something like that. Because if you have to cut out a panel, that whole page needs to be readdressed. And again, from a time standpoint, it stinks to have to redraw a whole page. So the more planning you can do at the onset to where you don't have to redraw a lot, the, the better off you'll be. Any other questions? Yes, sir? How did you start out doing graphic novels? Um, for me, it was, it was finding uh, graphic novels that were on the shelf. I read a lot of uh, comic strips when I was a kid in the newspaper and collections of them. I loved Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, I li- I, we had an old Dick Tracy book that I really liked. I liked Peanuts a lot um zets came out when i was starting high school and i really liked that one um and i would read uh comics occasionally that i would find in the bookstore so i got uh the dark Knight returns and i got the first couple of bone trades which came out about 25 years ago i guess 20 years ago something like that they've been a while uh pre-scholastic um and uh and so i really liked these but i always thought that my particular style of comics which uh, especially when I was earlier didn't suit itself well towards towards superhero stuff like I I'm, I'm not going to draw spider-man in a way that anybody wants Spider-man to look um, And so I thought well, maybe I'll do newspapers and i submitted a couple things to the syndicates uh, When I was fresh out of college and I I didn't I think I only submitted to one syndicate and I got back a form rejection letter And I thought well, that's that um, do something else and then a, a couple of years later I went to a a Barnes and Noble, and the graphic novel section, which had been there for a while, but had only been like one shelf, and it was like you know two Batman trades and a couple Star Wars books and. Uh, peanuts and then a bunch of like Dungeons and Dragons role-playing guides and that was pretty much it um, all of a sudden was you know full floor-to-ceiling shelf with a gazillion books on it um, and around between 2000 and 2005 you just had this explosion of these different these different books and different types of stories and different genres and with different styles and seeing those and seeing that there were all these different styles made me realize that because I didn't I didn't have to draw in any particular style or tell a story about any particular thing to do this. And so that's really what got me uh, looking at doing it. So I was 25 right on the dot when I figured out that it's what I wanted to do. It was within about a week of my birthday and I thought, well, this is it. And so I just sort of delved into it uh, full steam. Any other questions? All right, guys, thank you so very, very much for coming out. If anybody wants... Uh, a sketch I would be happy to do a drawing for you you can take home um, and I really appreciate everybody uh, coming by and uh, listening to me jabber So, thank you